0: I start to get scared that I'm going to get left out again. Uh, It's a very difficult thing when we are not included. Tonight we're going to learn from Ephesians 2 that God wants everyone to be included. God is building his new people, his new army, if you will. And he is not leaving anybody out. If you are willing to follow Jesus, you are included. So if you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians two eleven, 11, I'm going to start by reading those first two verses, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were severed from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So to start out, we have to ask the question, who are the Gentiles? Well, you and I. Uh, The Gentiles are basically the entire planet that are not the Jews. And it's important to remember that when you read the Bible, that the Bible is a Jewish document. Everything, especially the Old Testament, is written from a Jewish perspective. So, knowing that, the majority of this church in Ephesus were Gentile, a lot of them. Have you ever felt like your team was better than someone else's? Have you ever looked down on other groups of people? Different sports teams? As a Seahawks fan, I'll admit I've looked down on the 49ers. Congratulations, you're in the Super Bowl, Dwight. (laughs) And I'll be rooting for the Chiefs. (laughs) Maybe you look down on different majors. Maybe you look down on different people groups and races. This is exactly what was happening here. The Gentiles were seen as lesser by the Jews. But this is wrong. So if you'll keep your thumb in Ephesians and turn all the way to Genesis in the front of the Bible, we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the call of Abraham is the title in my Bible. So this is about when, or Abram, I mean, who was later Abraham. So this is the call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. Not the Jewish people will be blessed by you. All peoples. From this, we can gather that from the very beginning, God has loved all the peoples of the earth. He has already had a plan to rescue those who wish to be rescued, no matter who they are. So how did this plan work to bless all the peoples of the earth? Well, not well, and that's why we're here. The Jews were not great at telling others about God. In fact, they often fell into the trap of worshiping other people's gods. And if you'd like a reference for that, I suggest you read most of the Old Testament. Have you ever felt like your non-Christian friends have more of an influence on you than you have on them? So how does Paul describe who the Gentiles used to be? Well, it starts with uncircumcised. Not really a descriptor we describe people with today, I hope. If you are, don't do that. (laughs) Circumcision was a command from God. And it was a reminder that the Jews were supposed to be an example. For the Jews, it was a mark that they were set apart, that they were God's chosen people. And for the Gentiles, it was a reminder that they were not a part of God's people. And then in verse 12, we see Gentiles are described as separate from Christ. If you want to go back to my story, they were not on God's baseball team. They were cut. They were excluded from citizenship, also in verse 12. And the thing you need to understand is that to be one of God's people is the most wonderful thing that anyone could want. What a privilege to belong to God, to be a part of His family, to receive His supernatural blessing and help. Later we see foreigners to the covenants of the promise. They were not included in God's promise. They were without hope. They were without God. Have you ever felt like this? Excluded? Separate? Distant? Without hope? Without God? Maybe all of those? What are the chances that every one of your classmates, friends, professors, and family members has felt or feels the same way? You need to remember that there's a war going on a war from your identity. We learned last week, or not last week, first week from Dwight, that God's plan from the beginning was that we would Im- be the image of God. And we read in Genesis one twenty six to 28, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There is a war going on for God's image in you. a war for God's image in Chi Alpha. And remember how God is restoring this image. But through grace, he saved us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that's what we get, his grace. And his grace is always inclusive. He wants to include us. Do you think that he would want us to include others? See, God's grace is not just for us to keep. It's for us to give. We face a very real enemy. We learned that from Michael. A very real enemy that wants us to feel alone, distant from God and distant from his people. But there's hope. God never intended for the Gentiles to be left out. So I'm going to reread verse 13 real quick. But now, I'm going to stop right there. But now, two very, very important words. It means that all the things that I said beforehand are no longer. But now, any and all exclusion from God is in the past. And then, as we keep reading, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it means that we are a part of him, a part of everything he came to do. And what does it mean that we have been saved by his blood? Well, first, we have to understand that we on our own are no good. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we need to understand animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. So, put your thumb in Ephesians again, because we're going to Leviticus. We're going to look at Leviticus 1, verses 1 through 5. The Lord called to Moses, and he spoke to him. From the tent of meeting, he said, "Speak to the Israelites and say to them, "When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay." your hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So there's a word in there that you might not know, which is atonement, which boiled down means to cover over someone's debt. And this sacrifice of the animals is a powerful symbol of God's justice and grace. This animal's life is a substitute for the person that is sacrificing it. It is symbolically dying in their place. And the blood is poured out to cover for their sin. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus was the perfect lamb with no blemish. He had no sin. He did not disobey God once. And his perfect life was a sacrifice for us all. And through this sacrifice, God showed his people how he would set them free from sin and from the enemy. Death is the ultimate sacrifice. You cannot give more than your life. Jesus took all our deficiencies, everything, in us that causes us to be separate from God and took it to the grave to die. It is finished. And when you choose to follow him, your sin is covered by Jesus' blood. In Second Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Jesus' death and his blood has covered your sins forever. So now we're going to move into if the rest of the seventh chapter of Ephesians. Uh, and we're going to read verses 14 through chapter 3, verse 6. This is a long one, so hold on. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles— This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Ah, reading makes my mouth dry. I guess that's also talking, though. Um, so, how does Paul describe the Gentiles now? How does Paul describe us now? In verse 19. We are fellow citizens. We are members of God's household. We are heirs together with Israel. We are members of one body, sharers of the promise. This sounds a lot better than those earlier descriptors, right? Don't you want to wage war to keep your new identity as one of God's people? See, God included us when we believed in what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we decide to give 100% of ourselves to Jesus, we get these descriptors. Fellow citizens, members of God's household, heirs, members of one body, sharers of the promise. See, Jesus' death did not only mean that the Gentiles, us, also received the gift of God, but also that there is no longer any separation from the Jews they are one people one humanity it says jesus came to make the jews and the gentiles one to reconcile humanity to itself now have you ever been a part of a group maybe a team maybe a group of friends that somebody new joined how did you feel were you jealous Maybe you didn't want them in your group. Maybe even you actively tried to kick them out or exclude them. Well, for me, this actually did happen. (laughs) When I was a kid, I had a best friend. Do you remember your childhood best friend? Hopefully. Mine, Sean, lived right down the street from me. We hung out all the time. We walked to school together, and we hung out afterwards. And then one day in first grade, this new kid moved in down the street. And Sean started hanging out with him. Doesn't he know that Sean is my friend? What's up with that? All right, it's fine. But you know what was worse? This kid had the audacity to start walking to school with us. That was our thing. I don't remember a lot about first grade. I don't know if you do. (laughs) But I remember very distinctly that I hated this kid. I'm not kidding. 100% of my being hated this kid. I wanted him gone. I wanted Sean to myself. This kid was getting in the way. Now, I know what you're thinking. Couldn't I have just hung out with them both? Of course not. Sean was my friend. <laughs> Do you think the Jews could have felt this way? God was theirs, not the Gentiles. See, this was more than just inviting a new group of people into their promise, this was inviting their enemies. At least that's how they saw it. But God loved the Gentiles. So that means God loved the Jews' enemies. God loved his people's enemies. And because the Gentiles, and by that we are God's people, that means God loves our enemies. And because God loves our enemies, and we are the image of God, that means we need to love our enemies. And Paul says in verse two, or chapter two, verse. 15 that Jesus purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Are there any people in your life that you view as enemies? Maybe people of different religions. Different cultures? Most most of us are American. So maybe your enemies are Russia, Iran, North Korea, God loves these people just as much as he loves you. Maybe your enemies are different political parties. Well, God loves liberals. God loves conservatives. God loves independents. And so should we. God does not belong to a political party. Your allegiance should be to God. And we're currently in, and we're heading even more into, a time when politics is going to come to the front of conversation. Can you learn to talk with those you disagree with? Not argue, talk. Maybe learn their point of view and love them as God does. See, there is a battle going on for every person in your life. Are you willing to go to war for your classmates, your roommate, even after they don't do the dishes? See, people are out there on this campus that just want to know they belong. And God wants you to tell them that they do, that they belong to him. And just so you know, to finish my story with Sean and the other kid, well, Sean moved away later that year. And that other kid, Scott, ended up being my best friend for the rest of my childhood. <laughs> so I guess it worked out. Maybe you should love your enemies. <laughs> this is what this is all about. This coming together together of people. And Paul shows us that God created a Trinity relationships relationship with these groups. Now you might not have heard Trinity used in any other context than describing God. You now God is a Trinity God. A triune God. Three beings in one. God, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Trinity is just the state of being three. Which you cannot do on your own because you're not three. You are one. But God cr- reflected his relationship with himself in this new relationship. Jews, Gentiles, and God. Three in one. One new humanity. How does this affect us today? Well, God wants us to be together, to have unity. And by us, I don't just mean those of us in this room. God wants us, including every single person that is not in this room, to be together under Him. But what does it mean for two groups to become one? Seems a little weird. Well, how many of you have seen the Avengers? I'm talking the very first Avengers. Couple. Um, Well, if you don't know, uh, the Avengers had a bit of an issue with being together as a team. At one point, quite literally, uh, the enemy of the movie, Loki, comes and attacks the Avengers on their flying ship that, yes. It's like a boat, but it's in the air. (laughs) And it's like an aircraft carrier, I don't know. But Loki attacks. And this is the perfect time because the team is not together. Iron Man and Captain America go off to fix the wing, and this entire movie they've been fighting, not very good teamwork. And then there's Hulk and Thor. They have a fist fight, also not very good teamwork. And Hawkeye and Black Widow also have a fist fight, which is also not very good teamwork. If you have a class project, don't fight with your team. Do not punch them. It will not go well. But they get through this. At the end of the movie, there's this one big scene. And in this scene, I don't know about you, but for me, I knew they were going to win. And it's the team-up scene. The sweeping shot, which is probably CGI, of all of the Avengers facing outwardly in a circle, and they are together. They are one team, one Avengers, Do you see any similarities between this battle and our war? Our victory is our unity with one another and with God. Through Jesus' death and his resurrection, all barriers to God have been destroyed. God desires unity with us just as much as he desires us to be unified together. And another thing that we read is that we are members of God's household. Now, I wanted to specify this because what does it mean to be members of God's household? It means that we live with God. That's pretty cool. We have 100% access to God one hundred percent of the time. Any time we have access to God. How much less of a barrier can there be than living with someone? Have you ever had barriers to your relationship with Jesus? What barriers to Jesus are your classmates facing? Maybe cultural barriers? Religious barriers? Maybe family barriers. Maybe they have been hurt by the church. That's a barrier. There is a war going on for the hearts of the people around you. You don't really get a choice in this war. This war happens, and you are a part of it one way or another. And there are two very distinct sides. And if you don't tell people about Jesus, you could be dooming them to lose. If not you, who? And if not now, when? I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and get prepared. And I have some application questions for you to think about. Have you accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him? Is there anyone in your life that you need to reconcile with? And how are you going to do that? And who in your life have you been unwilling to reach out to? Maybe just for the sake of being awkward. And what are you going to do about it?